Well, this is biblical grace lesson number three, and this one we call grace to work. Now, again, I wrote these lessons a couple of years ago, I guess four years ago now, based on the copyright, because there's a popular movement called hyper grace, and it seems to only emphasize one facet of grace. Now, you'd think if it was hyper grace, it would be all grace on all subjects all the time, but for some reason, this perversion of, of true biblical grace gets into one rut, and that's the grace that covers sin or the grace that washes away your past so you can go on. And that is a true and wonderful aspect of grace. Uh, but if that's all you ever emphasize, you've not covered the full dimension or the full measure of grace. And I know why that, that doctrine or that, that one facet is so popular because it allows people to stop feeling bad about their sin which is necessary as a Christian, and I understand that. Hebrews 9 and Hebrews chapter 10 talk about having your conscience purged from dead works. Grace helps do that. But that's not the only facet to grace that there is. And I wish all the hyper-grace guys would teach all the other facets of grace to help the body of Christ, because everything we do in the kingdom is by the grace of God or really heaven's help. And so here we see a very critical facet called work. Grace doesn't come just to forgive you of sins or to wash away the foolishness or the stupidity or rebellion you did this morning. Grace, once you've gotten over that uh, condemning conscience or that conscience of dead works, the grace is still there to do something else and it's called work. And if all we ever do is emphasize one facet of the diamond of grace, then all we have is a piece of plate glass that's easily busted and broken. But let's look at this here, this grace to work. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has not been given unto us for us to lie around and waste it on carnality. Amen to that. But why did the grace of God come? It came, it came, and it was given for a reason. And if it wasn't given for a reason, then it is in vain. And there's a lot of verses that we'll cover where Paul said, have, we, have you received the grace of God in vain? And do you do despite unto the spirit of grace? You know, if, it, if so, it be that we labored in vain. We must understand what grace is for now that we are saved. There is a saving grace. We've covered that previously. But now that we are saved, the grace of God doesn't stop working in our life. It continues to work. And as it works, you know, if grace is a working grace and it comes upon you, you're going to work too. And again, not to save you. You're already saved, but you work because you are saved. It's heaven's help doing what? Working in God's garden. <laughs> Heaven's ability to do what? To do the thing God called you to do. Every one of us is called to do something great for Jesus Christ. And the more you grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the more you're established in it, the more you'll do for him. Now, this is a critical teaching because as you look at some Christians, they are not increasing in the grace of God because they're not increasing in their labors for God. As I study the Bible and the New Testament writings and the epistles to the church, I see that we never stop. I see that there's no retirement in the kingdom. I see, as you study the Old Testament allegories and stories and types and shadows, that there's always more land to possess. I see that as you walk with God, he gives you more to do, not less. Now, if you do less for God than you did 10 years ago, you have taken on the American mindset. The American mindset is always looking to do less and get more. The kingdom mindset is always to looking to do more, to bless more. And so we just have to be willing to come back to the word of God and realize that God is always looking to promote us. We always ought to be looking to do more for the kingdom, whether it's more praying, not less praying. God's not into demotion. You know, more praying is promotion. More giving 
is promotion. More evangelism is promotion. One of the things we don't like to recognize as kind of red-blooded, lazy Americans is that the promotion of God doesn't look like money. The promotion of God doesn't look like stuff, though God will give that to you. The promotion of God looks like more work. Three grunts, two amens, and a huh. (laughs) When God promotes you in the Bible, when God promoted his men of faith, did they get to sit down and do nothing or did they get something to do? They always got something more to do. You study Gideon's one of my favorite judges. Gideon goes from tearing down his daddy's altar to a promotion of what? Taking out the, uh, the Midianites at night to what? Ruling the whole region to what? Tearing down his own crooked people's cities. Constant promotion. When he finally slowed down, he got into sin, built an idol, and it became a stumbling block for all of Israel. When he slowed down. He should have finished stronger. And you see, with Moses, it kept being promotion and promotion and promotion and promotion and promotion. Same with Jesus Christ. Same with the Apostle Paul. You study the Apostle Paul. When he gets born again, he studies the Bible and he's a servant at Antioch. And then he's a servant at Antioch. And then he's a servant of Antioch. And then when he's proven faithful in Antioch, he gets to run errands down to Jerusalem. God increased his scope. He does that a couple times when he comes back and gets put into the baby missionary ministry. He's following Barnabas. He's like Barnabas' right-hand man. Barnabas is the mature apostle. His his little trip with Barnabas is a small little circle that goes to Crete, up north into Lydda, Cappadocia, comes back around, Tarsus, Antioch, back again. First missionary trip, very small circle. God promotes him again. He makes it over into the Greek Isles. Third missionary trip, he makes it all the way to Italy. Uh, historians tell us we don't have record of in the book of Acts. His fourth mission trip took him all the way to Spain. Promotion. He got promoted. Ultimately, they took his head off. What promotion? What glory? That, that you really expand your kingdom when you go from earth to heaven. And so uh, what, I want you to see, what, what I want us to see is as we grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's, the Lord's going to be increasing our work for him. Some of you, that terrifies you. And that is because you're lazy. And it's because you don't know how to operate in the grace of God right now. But when you do everything in your life by the grace of God and you've come to be dependent upon the grace of God, you know that when the Lord asks you to do more, it'll be just like the other 15 things he gave you to do. It'll be through his might and not yours. Does not the Lord say, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord? When you're terrified of the Lord giving you more to do, you tell off on yourself that you, you haven't learned yet. Maybe you've resisted the grace of God that comes upon you to serve him. For me, pastoring this church, I know that promotion doesn't come from bigger buildings. It doesn't come uh, from fancy stuff or fancy tools. Promotion is more work for him. Promotion is another assignment. And I don't freak out over it. I get excited about it because God's never failed me yet though I have failed him countless times. He's never failed me. He's never dropped me. He's never given up on me. He's never abandoned me. And if he asks me to do more for him, guess what? He's fully expecting me to do more for him and he's going to equip me to do more for him. But again, the American church, because of our American culture of retirement at 65, we think that we have permission from God to sit down and you just don't have that. The older you get in Christ, if you've truly been serving him, the more you ought to be doing. Now remember, Moses didn't get started till he was 80. Abraham didn't get started till he was 75. 
Joshua didn't get started till he was 85, 84, 85. And they were always increasing until it was time to take their last breath. I know this is a stretch on America and AARP and, you know, M-O-U-S-C and whatever else your acronym is that gives you permission not from God to sit back and do nothing. But the grace of God comes to help us. I'm telling you, we need to know what it's for now that we are saved. How else do you have rewards in heaven? Don't, don't forget that this life that we now live is training and proving ground for the millennial kingdom. Now, just, just so you know the mathematics, the average American lives 78 to 85 years. The millennial kingdom is 1,000 years, which is approximately 10 times longer, 12 times longer than the average American lifespan. So if you're lazy now, and if you're an American now, what will you be entrusted with in the millennial kingdom, which is rapidly approaching upon us? So if you're truly serving God, your scope of influence and the things God has given you will always increase. If you're being demoted in the kingdom by the Lord's leaders, by the Lord's apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and bishops and elders and deacons, if you're being demoted, it's because you're not operating in the grace of God. Because when you operate in the grace, the Bible says we increase with the increases of God. We grow in the grace of God. If we're being demoted, it may show that we have been in works and we've truly not been doing things by the spirit of God. All right, enough on that. First Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Hallelujah. Now, again, Paul said this in reference to the fact that he was the least of all the apostles. Those are the verses previous to this verse or prior to this verse in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I was one like I was born out of time. I was like a castaway. He said, but even though I'm the least of all the apostles, I am what I am by the grace of God. He said, the grace of God has set me as the least of all the apostles. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. We need to be able to make sure we say, Lord, the graces you've given me will not be in vain. Uh, that grace in this regard is like a tool. It's a tool the Lord gives you to accomplish something for him in his garden. Think of like a weed eater. Think of a lawnmower. Think of a leaf blower. Think of shovels and, and a tiller. You want to be able to say, Lord, the tools that you gave me were not in vain, but I cultivated a beautiful garden for you. And every year I learned how to do it better. And every year I, gr I planted more. And every year I cultivated more so that by the time you come back, Lord, my entire yard will be a garden producing what I have determined can grow in my soil. But as it stands, every Christian has graces that we're not using or taking advantage of. And therefore, it's what Paul said, it's in vain. Amen. All right, awfully quiet this morning. The grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Who's the they? The apostles, the chief apostles. Now, I marvel at this because Paul just ran over Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Andrew, Judas, not the betrayer, but the other Judas. He just ran over Jude. He just ran over James, the brother of Jesus. <laughs> he, he ran over all of them. He said, I'm the least of all of the chief of all the apostles, yet I outwork them. He threw the whole bunch under the bus and ran them over. Matthias, who got in on the last deal in Acts chapter one, replacing Judas, the betrayer. He said, I have labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So he said they could have worked harder, but they didn't take advantage of the grace that was given them. He said by the Holy Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians 15, they have a greater grace than me. 
They have a greater ability than me. They have a greater calling than me. I am the least of all of them. That wasn't false speech. That wasn't pretense. That wasn't in a false humility. That was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. But he said, but the measure of grace that was given unto me, I took full advantage of it and I outworked them, which lets us know that all those chief apostles were not doing what they could have been. Let it not be said of us that we're not doing what we could be doing. Don't ever let there be an epistle written that said, you know, Greg or Steve, they had great graces, but because they wouldn't use them, well, the little, the little widow who, who thought, I just love God, I want to do what I can, she outworked them. Should not be the case. We ought to all know the graces that are upon our life and begin to grow in them because just one drop of the grace of God is more power than the world has combined. They talk about just the power contained in one drop of water is enough energy to power the world for a day. Some crazy scientific research like that. Well, just one drop of the grace of God can outpower the world in its own human endeavors. So you have to find out what your graces are and then outlabor everyone. Amen. Now that grace has saved us, it would seem as though grace shifts functions in our lives and empowers and strengthens us to work, work, and work some more for the kingdom of God. Paul boldly proclaimed that because of grace working in his life, he was able to outwork all of the chief apostles. What an indictment against them. I would to God every Christian would be so fired up, they would outwork everyone around them for the kingdom's sake, not as a competition, not as I can, I can, anything you can do, I can do better, but because God saved us. And that's what we've been given. So we need to be judging ourselves over this series of teaching. Are we doing everything God's given us to do? Are we maximizing it? Are we finding the perimeters of the grace that he's given us? I know what I can do and I know what I can't do. And what I can do, I'm constantly looking, Lord, can I push the limit on this thing? What else can I do better? What else can I polish about it? How can I win more people? Can we make our telecast better? Can I write these curriculum better? Lord, would you have me write a book? Lord, what videos do you want me to make? Lord, how can we make Vacation Bible School better? Lord, how can I better organize the church you've given me? Lord, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? My mind never shuts off because I don't have time to take my ease. Now, every once in a while, I have one of those demonized lazy days where I, a couple weeks ago, I said, honey, I don't feel like doing anything today. And she said, well, you probably deserve that. And then about an hour later, I said, that's pretty rebellious. I'm going to get up and do something now. I just, you know, feeling like, you know, like most Americans do every day. I was just kind of feeling kind of lonely, kind of, you know, wishy-washy, kind of needy. And I let that sit for about an hour. I thought, this is pathetic. I don't got time for this. And I got up and did something. Because, you know, the more you give in to your flesh like that, the more it grows. I think I made myself go for a run just to put my flesh under. Everyone is grace to work. That means every one of you listening to me right now, there is a grace of God upon your life not to warm a chair in my church, but to work in the kingdom. What makes the American church so weak is that we think there's a grace to spectate. God never authorized spectatorship, and he never will. You go to the movies for that. We, the American ministers have mastered entertainment, and the folks come running for it. Every Christian is a member of the body of Christ and is therefore needful. Amen. Each body part has a function, a role, and a job to do. Grace equips and strengthens you for this God-assigned task in his body. Any body part that is non-functional is lame and cripple. 
So we ought to judge ourselves. Are you a crippled member of the body? What do you contribute? Because every one of you is needful to our local church, whether you're the earlobe, the pinky nail, whether you're even the knuckle hair. Here's something I don't get. I noticed this a couple years ago. I grow hair on the second knuckle of my ring fingers on both hands, but none of the other second knuckles. And so I look at that three or four hairs and I say, what are you doing there? And you're not on the middle finger, you're not on pointer, you're not on thumpkin. You're just right there on the ring finger, two or three hairs on both sides. But the Lord wants you there. So who am I to argue? Whatever you're doing, keep doing it because the Lord appreciates you. Yeah. And you ladies with the hairy toes, the Lord put that hair there for a reason. I know you wax it, shave it, you know, whatever you do. But the Lord still has it coming back again and again, season after season. Every person, whether you're the hair on the girl's pinky toe or you're the kidneys or the brain or the cortex, cerebral cortex, you're important to the kingdom. And you would be so upset if your leg decided to take a day off. You'd be so upset if your eyes decided, I just don't want to do anything today. You'd be so upset if your teeth said, I let go. You wake up with a mouthful of Tic Tacs. And grandma. (laughs) But yet the body of Christ is supposed to function this way. Christians think the body of Christ can function this way. And it's because of selfishness. Romans 12, 4 and 6. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same job, work, deed, function... Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Notice the body of Christ, even the local bodies, have many members, and every one of us has been given a different grace for a different job, a different work, a different deed, a different function. Now, truthfully, your body can function without legs and arms, right? But it cannot function without the head. What if me as the head of this church, if I just quit doing my thing like some, of, some Christians in our church just don't do their thing? Yeah, and the Bible, I mean, the medical science calls it being brain dead. If, you're, if your brain just quit working and we had to breathe for you through a ventilator and through oxygen and through a heart monitor and all that, total vent, they call it, that's a lame body. But so, much, uh, so many local churches are in that place because they don't understand the graces that are given them or they use excuses of the hardness of life to buffet or counteract the grace of God. I have learned and I have discovered in all the 20 years I've served God now that if I'll stop focusing on my problems and look a little bit further to the horizon for the kingdom, a lot of my junk just takes care of itself. But I'm convinced that there's a lot of stuff in our life that are just demonically breathed distractions. And the more you pay attention to them, the more the devil says, ah, they like it. Let's keep stoking it. Let's keep feeding it. And it just takes you further and further out of the way. It's a distraction. So if we'd focus on the grace of God, as the, as the Bible says, build his kingdom Uh, take no thought for tomorrow, but look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Seek you first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things that the Gentiles seek after, they'll be added unto you. If we could just focus on the kingdom and building it, a lot of our problems that we cry out to God over and over and over and over and over and over again, they might just resolve themselves because maybe they're just nothing but distractions from the enemy anyway. Every Christian has been given a special function or job in the body of Christ. God gives a measure of grace to that Christian based on the function they are called to perform. If a Christian does not operate in that God-ordained function, we might call that a dysfunctional Christian. This is called receiving the grace of God in vain. 
Kale and Kylie have a tremendous grace for praise and worship, and, and thank God they enjoy it. If they did not use that grace given them to help our worship team, they would have received that grace in vain, which makes the Lord look like an idiot. And I, you know, I have a grace to pastor and I have a grace to teach. What if I just wanted to sell cars? I know preachers that can take the grace of ministry and leadership and go make a lot of money with it. What a vain waste. And we'll be judged for it. We'll cover a verse here in a minute about being stewards of the grace of God. Anything you're a steward over, you're gonna be judged for. And let, let me put that fear and that provocation in you. Realize you're going to be judged with the gifts and the graces God has given you and realize the Lord is expecting you to discover those gifts and those graces and to grow them for his glory. Not your bit betterment, not your bottom dollar, not your vacation, but for his kingdom. And if you'll put his kingdom first, he will take care of you and he will give you a rich life, a blessed life. But do not reverse this thing like most Americans do, like 90% of the Americans do, 90% of the American church. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, we then as workers together with God beseech you, notice workers, we beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. There again, vain grace. 1 Corinthians 15, T, or t, uh, 10, uh, B, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Notice both of these verses talk about having a grace to work, and they both infer that if you don't work, then it's wasted grace. What point is having a nice big John Deere zero turn radius lawnmower if you never cut your grass? It is a vain lawnmower. What's the point of having a car if you never drive it? It's a vain vehicle. Why would God put a grace on you unless he expected you to use it for his kingdom's sake, to preach the gospel, to establish the saints, to edify the believers? That's why we're graced. And on top of that, the more you give yourself over to those graces, the more they will grow and develop. I'm fully convinced that your life won't be what it's supposed to be. You won't fully enjoy life until you find what you're made to do and just receive it and embrace it. And I preach over and over again in our church, the life that I live right now was never my American teenage dream. It was never my college dream. But I would not trade the life I get to live right now for nothing, for nobody. I wouldn't replace or swap uh, positions with anybody because I, I seem to have found the grace that God has given me and it makes my life rich. I have no complaints unless it's just petty stuff in the community or not being able to sleep because something's too loud. I got no complaints with my life. Every, all my complaints are petty. And usually I come through and think, well, that's pathetic. Why was I so pitiful or pathetic or pity? Lazy Christians squander the grace of God. They come to church and quickly return home without helping or benefiting the kingdom or the local church at all. They are very akin to leeches and parasites. Let us not be a parasite on Christ's body. You know, a parasite gets a free ride, gets a free meal, and often injects its venom before it crawls off to be used, or to use, not be used, but to use something else. Galatians 2.8, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. Notice the Lord wants to be mighty in us. And this comes through the grace of God. Again, let me emphasize, if you will grow in the grace of God, the work the Lord gives you for the local church will increase. The work the Lord gives you for his kingdom will increase. The Lord is all about promotion. Psalm says promotion comes not from the north, the south, the east, or the west, but it comes from God. He raises one up, but he also sits another down. If you're lazy, I like to say one of Pastor Chris's maxims is your laziness is training your replacement. 
And when the grace of God is upon you, he's expecting you to change. You can't ever say, well, this is just who I am. So grace can't change who you are is what you're saying. You're saying your personality with all of its quirks, idiosyncrasies, carnality, think about who raised you. Some of you were raised by wolves. One or two of you was raised by a family of woodchucks, I think. That's part of your personality. You're saying the woodchuck family that raised me, woodchuck clan, they are more powerful than the grace of God that expects me to be better. Think about the arrogance of that statement. Well, this is just who I am. Well, it's not good enough. I remember what Reverend Ray Bench, his testimony when he was working for Dr. Barclay. He said, Pastor, I'm, I'm, he kept failing Dr. Barclay and failing Dr. Barclay and dropping the ball on things. And he said, Pastor, I'm sorry, I'm just doing my best. And Dr. Barclay said, that's your problem. This is your best. We're not talking about five-year-olds or eight-year-olds in the kingdom. We're talking about born-again, spirit-filled believers who can do a few things through Christ, all things. So when you stop to say, well, I'm sorry, this is the best, well, then get better. I thought we're born again. I thought the eternal Christ lived in us. I thought the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. I thought all the power of the Godhead bodily dwells in us. So then you can't use who you are as an excuse. You have to say, Lord, all right, I'm well able. Let us go up at once. Remember, 10 spies slandered. And they said, it's great, but we're not able. And the two, Joshua and Caleb said, whoa, whoa, shut up. We're well able. Let us go up at once. Who's who say you can or you can't, but you. Yeah, so you don't get permission from God to, to die where you're planted right now. Your laziness, your stubbornness, your excuses are training your replacement in the kingdom. And if you won't do it, there's always somebody else that God will use to because God's going to get what God wants. If you won't do it, Saul, God will raise up a David. If you won't do it, Barnabas, God will raise up a Paul. If you won't do it, God has somebody next in line. Pastor Vaughn's testimony in founding this church is that he wasn't God's first choice, but three or four other pastors made excuses why they couldn't or shouldn't or wouldn't. Well, that's an awesome story. That makes me feel like the fifth bench guy because Pastor Vaughn's in heaven and I take over. All right, so what's that make me, Lord? Chop liver? I don't care what it makes me. I'm just happy to be used. Amen. Paul testified that God was working effectually in Peter to accomplish a work in the earth the salvation of the Jews. The words wrought effectually are one Greek word, energio, to be at work, to be active, to put forth power. The word mighty in reference to Paul's ministry towards the Gentiles is the same word, energio. Grace was given to each of them to do something to promote the kingdom of God and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to realize this grace comes upon us to give us an energio where we get our word energy. Grace is, makes you indefatigable, which is a fancy word that means you just never tire. <laughs> I ain't tired. Grace will make you indefatigable. You won't fatigue. You won't tire out. You won't be you'll be inexhaustible in your work for God. If you get tired doing the will of God, you probably are not doing it in the grace of God. If you ever get tired, if you ever get burnt out, if you ever get bored, you've probably been doing it in human strength. When the grace of God comes upon you, you're unstoppable. You don't fatigue. You don't have to have a lot of naps. You don't have to have a lot of rest. You just keep going for God because it's by his power. I thought we were a spirit-filled church. I thought we got these things. 
We weren't, I thought we weren't one of these ecumenical, traditional, dead to God kind of churches. Oh, we can get that way though, can't we? Pretty quick. Hebrews 12, 28. This is preaching more than it's teaching. I wonder uh, if the Lord's trying to help us this morning. Therefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us hold fast grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. There again, grace comes to serve. We have received, let us hold fast grace that we may serve God acceptably. If you don't serve God acceptably, you get demoted. I mean, he'll help you and work with you and help you. And then finally, because God is a shrewd steward, he's very austere, he'll sit you down to get somebody who will do the job better. That's just how he rolls. He is a shrewd, austere steward. He is the good master. He's taking his trip to a foreign land, and when he comes back, he expects increase because he's not about wasting seed or talent or resources. It requires grace to acceptably serve God. I'm serving God. That's great. Is it acceptably? You know, Lydia, she's three. Go pick up your room, sweetie. She can go pick it up. Sometimes she gets distracted. She finds a toy she hasn't seen in three or four hours and she starts playing with it again. She picks it up, but is the room acceptably picked up? Is it what we expect? And many of us, we, we have this self-justification and hopefully by the will of God tonight, I'm gonna teach on excuses and teach on the, the spirit of defense or the attitude of always defending yourself because it eats us up alive in America. If you're an American, I'm talking to you tonight. We have this excuse, well, I'm doing my best or I'm serving God. All right, but the Bible says acceptably because not everything we do for God is accepted by him. Remember, Abel and Cain both gave offerings. One was accepted, one was rejected. And when Cain saw that his work was rejected, he had a temper tantrum and refused to talk with God. You could tell it was a temper tantrum because he just wouldn't answer God. What kind of grown man won't answer God? Don't you know you're going to lose that fight? <laughs> and I'm just ignoring you. I'm taking all my toys and I'm going home to wherever he lived. This grace enables us to serve with reverence and godly fear. Everything you do for God should have an element of reverence and godly fear. If we don't hold fast this grace, our service will not be accepted. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Notice he wants you to abound to every good work. There's works for God, and then there's good works for God. And the grace of God allows us to abound in these things. Whatever you're doing for God, it should not plateau. It should abound. Now, there's always plateau levels where you, you, know, you, you go up and then you kind of level off for a season, get your bearings, and then you should be going up some more. But some Christians have plateaued in their Christian walk. They've plateaued in their departments. They've plateaued in their Christian service. That's not the will of God. There's no grace there. Grace won't allow you to plateau. Grace lets you plateau for a season, gather your bearings, take a breather, and then push up higher. And that never stops until the last push is death or rapture. You finally get to rest when you don't have a body. This kingdom does say if you're weary and heavy laden, get to Jesus. Take a yoke upon you. Learn of him. For his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and you'll find rest for your weary soul. He doesn't care about your body. I'm upsetting old people, I think. All right. Okay, very, very quiet. 
The Bible says in Romans that if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, his spirit shall quicken our mortal flesh. I'm honored to to have been able to know, still know Dr. Sumrall's ministry. The man was in his 80s and burned secretaries out every three to four or five years. An 80-year-old man burning through secretaries because they couldn't keep up with an 80-year-old man because he had the key to perpetual power through the Holy Ghost and sometimes we just come to church. Okay, amen, amen, amen. We will move on so we can find something encouraging. It's not my fault this wonderful curriculum is preaching so hard this morning. It's your fault. And the Holy Spirit's just answering you, okay? I looked at this this morning. I thought, should I, go, should I go with this one or should I go jump to lesson four because I got five lessons this month, only four Sundays. I got to teach one of them in private for the pod school. I thought, ah, we can maybe make this one fit. I don't know, Lord. It's not my fault. I hardly even looked over this this morning before I came in here. Didn't have time. When grace abounds in your life, work for the kingdom will abound in your life. Not excuses work. Grace is not given for us to be selfish and introverted in the kingdom. Grace comes for you to abound in good works. Grace produces sufficiency in your life. That is a condition in life where no no aid or support is needed. When you are grace sufficient, you don't need aid. You don't don't have complaints. You're, You're constantly refueling in the presence of God. You're refueling in the word of God. When the word is preached, you're being refueled. We, I love, I, I did some uh, years ago when I was a geologist, I did work on the um, refueling center. I did all the ground and earth work on the refueling center out of the Air National Guard base at McGee-Tyson. And those guys, that was where they parked all the Hercules C-130s refueling wing. Those guys, I said, so what do you guys do? They said, we fly from here and we circle over the Atlantic and we refuel jets so they don't ever have to land. That's what they did out of McGee-Tyson. Sufficiency, not needing any refueling. They never had to land. They just hook up with a C-130, lower the little nozzle, and they'd fly into it. You've seen it on TV and whatnot. And they said, that's what we do. We just go and so- hover in giant patterns over the Atlantic. So folks flying overseas, military jets, don't have to come down. That's God. That's the allegory for God. You refuel. You don't, I need a break. It's been so hard. You haven't been walking with God if it's hard. My body needs a rest. Well, you eat better, sleep more or something, but... You don't need a break from God. You, to need a break from God, you have to first walk with God. Amen. It is a condition of contentment. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit told him, chapter 12, my grace is sufficient. It means contenting. My grace will content you. Contentment frees you up to serve God. If there aren't any good works in your life, there's no grace working in your life. If you're being demoted, there's no grace. Grace does not demote, grace promotes. But when grace runs out and you're into works and it's dead and it's dry, the Lord will demote you so you can learn how he wants it done. Old Testament grace. Let us examine the Old Testament for examples of what grace can accomplish because this is a grace to work lesson. Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of God and that grace enabled him to preach righteousness and build an ark. He was a bivocational preacher, shipbuilder and preacher. Swung a hammer, you're all going to drown. <laughs> Gather up a billy goat, you're all drowning. Hey, what's fat, bald, and goes glub, glub? You, Harry, you need God. <laughs> Why aren't you guys putting any fish on that boat? Fish don't need my help. You do. <laughs> Why aren't you putting any waterfowl on that boat? Waterfowl don't need what's coming. You do. 
<laughs> the grace of God empowered Noah to build and preach for 120 years. No record he ever got burnt out. 120 years. We work four days for God. We need a month off. In the end, Noah saved his family and condemned the world by grace through faith. Moses found grace in the eyes of God and was equipped to pastor the Israelites for 40 years. That's like a three million person church. That's, that's exhausting if you don't have grace. A couple of times the Lord, Moses said, if you love me, Lord, kill me. <laughs> so maybe he had a, da- a bad day once or twice. He pastored them through the Red Sea, to the mountain, through the wilderness, around the mountain, around the mountain, and around the mountain some more, against enemies, through a building program. That'll kill most pastors right there. They, honestly, the, the American statistic is most pastors that walk their church through a building program will resign or move on in less than two years. It's like 70, 80%. And most churches know this. I've talked with a lot of pastors when we came through our multiple building programs. And uh, one pastor said, I walked my church through a building program and the elders came and said, are you leaving us now? Because that's just what happens because it burns people out when you're not walking in the grace of God. You get frustrated. You're ready to move on. Grace kept Moses very busy and allowed him to walk very close with God. He did it for 40 years and died at 120, not in retirement, he died finished. Gideon, Gideon obtained grace and favor from God and it enabled him to become a mighty military leader and judge over Israel for 40 years. Grace caused Gideon to be a leader and a revivalist, delivering Israel from the hands of their enemies back to the altar of the true living God. So not just a a judge, but a leader, a military leader, a preaching revivalist, a fearless man of power and courage, who in the beginning was a scared, probably 19 or 20-year-old, maybe 21-year-old, might have been 30. We don't know for sure, but he was a young man. He was terrified of his own daddy. Maybe his daddy was verbally abusive. We don't know. But the grace of God came upon him. And in the end, when he starts off scared of his abusive daddy, perhaps abusive, he was a, you know, a demonized man worshiping the altars of Baal. In the end, he's standing up to city leaders and kings and saying, I'm gonna tear your, I'm gonna tear your, your tower of Pisa down. I'm gonna tear your city down. I'm gonna whip all of your leaders with whips of thorns and briars. And that's what he did. And nobody bothered to mess with Gideon. In the beginning, he didn't wanna bother to mess with anybody. But when you grow in grace, fear doesn't have a chance. You just keep getting it out of the way. Amen. Ezra, Ezra and a remnant of Israel obtained grace, not to stay the same. Grace didn't come upon Israel and those Jews in captivity to stay in captivity. Grace came to make a hard trek to be a different people. Four, five, six month journey across the desert of Arabia to come back to the promised land. But the grace came to escape out of captivity and to return to their home country, Israel. Grace came to help Ezra and his contingency of men to travel about five months from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Notice the grace did not come to stay in bondage any longer. And yet we know he had three waves of revival, Zerubbabel, about 100 years later, Ezra, then Nehemiah. We know that some people chose to stay there. They rejected the grace of God. They rejected this revival. They said, you know, we've built such a nice life for us here as slaves. You know, Persia is just so pretty this time of year. We like the palace of Shushan. It's just nice here. These kings aren't so bad. I mean, yeah, we're technically their property and now every once in a while there's some kind of ploy to wipe us out with a mass genocide, but we've weathered that before. I think we'll just stay here. And they did. And theologians and historians tell us more people, more Jews stayed and died in Persia than came back to Israel. 
And isn't that how it works today in the kingdom? Most Christians choose to die the same than enter into their promised land. Because entering in takes work. It takes discomfort. It takes leaving what's comfortable, what the world has provided for you and traveling for a season across a barren, desolate wilderness to get to the thing God ordained for you. And yet, because many Christians, far too many, are carnal and soulish and overly comfortable in their carnal-made nest, they reject, resist, and frustrate the grace of God so they could have an excuse to stay the same. That is not why Jesus Christ died for us. Yes, we're born again, thank God for that, but it's like it's not enough for my little baby girls to be born. I want them to grow up and do something great for the world. We were at Cracker Barrel yesterday and there was a cute little baby in a carrier behind us and I could tell something was not quite right with this baby because she was too big to still be in a carrier and then when she cried and opened her eyes, you could just see in the baby's eyes something's not right. And I, I just wanted to ask the lady, I said, I said how old is your baby? She said, oh, she's a little over a year. I said, oh, she's very pretty. And the lady felt like she needed to explain. She said, she's not right. And so we said, well, what's wrong with her? She has seizures and the doctors don't know why. She can't even hold her head up yet. And I said, well, what's her name? She said, Kyla. I said, well, let, we'll, pray. we'll be praying for her. And I said, no, you know what? Let's pray for her right now. So we just laid hands on this baby. That mama, she's, that mama started crying so hard there in Cracker Barrel. And here, here, my little girl's one-year-old sitting up, throwing food, squawking, smiling, rolling every extremity she has. And this little girl's probably her same age. And I can only imagine what it did to this mama's heart to look at my two healthy girls and to know that her only healthy girl, her only girl is not healthy. Same for the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus, he didn't just give birth to us through the new birth. He doesn't want us to lay in an incubator. He doesn't want us to lay in a car carry the rest of our life, something not quite right and they don't know what. It tears his heart out like it tore that mother's heart out that some of us refuse to grow, develop, mature and go on to be something better. Because you know that mother has such dreams and aspirations for her little baby. And she never imagined when her baby would be born that it would be one year old and still lying on its back, not being able to even hold its head up because of seizures. God feels the same way about us. He wants us to grow and develop and mature and to be what he dreamed us to be or to be what he envisioned us to be, what he predestinated us to be. That's the will of God. And he gave us the grace of God to accomplish that. Grace as a stewardship. We got to finish up here. We got like no minutes left. A stewardship is anything you've been given to look after and to care for. In stewardship, it is understood that you have to give an account for what you did or did not do with what has been placed in your care. We are stewards over God's grace. First Peter 4, 10, as every man has received the gift or charisma, which means grace gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice good stewards. God gives us things, gifts, grace gifts, and then he fully expects us to use them to help one another. Use them one towards another as a good steward. And so I would ask, what graces do you have that you're withholding from the body? I'm so glad my legs don't give out on me. I'm so glad my heart does not withhold its grace. I'm so glad my lungs don't say, that's it, I quit. I'm so glad my eyes say, we're take, don't ever say, I'm taking a day off because it's just too hard to see again. No, when it's what you do, it's just what you do. You don't know how to do anything else. These graces given to us to work for the kingdom are a stewardship just as our bodies, finances, and relationships are stewardships. If we are not good stewards over the grace in our life, we will have to answer for our negligence and laziness. One thing's for certain, we're all gonna die one day 
even if we're raptured, if we live to see the rapture, our bodies still die. We're all going to give an account individually for our life. And the Lord's gonna ask, what did you do with the graces I gave you? Did you build my kingdom or did you live as a simple American? Matthew 25, and I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the earth or your money, your gift. Lo, thou hast what is yours. Here it is back, exactly as you gave it to me, did nothing with it. And the, the master said, you wicked and slothful servant and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Look at the name calling the Lord gives the lazy believer. Wicked, slothful, unprofitable. All because they said, Lord, here's what you gave me. I was too afraid to do anything with it. Maybe too lazy. Actually, the Lord said he was lazy. And the Lord says, you were never, never of any profit to me. The Lord wants us to be profitable to his kingdom. And this lesson has been all about the grace of God coming upon our life to work in the kingdom, to work for the kingdom. Not to be saved, we work because we are saved. Ephesians says we're predestinated unto good works. Over 30 times the Bible says be careful to maintain good works, good deeds. That, that, that flavor doesn't say maintain, but the Bible speaks over 30 times in the New Testament of us as Christians doing good things for the kingdom. Because otherwise we just, what do we contribute? God wants to use us. May we not be wicked. Let me finish the verse. You wicked and slothful servant, cast you the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, I don't know the interpretation. Does that mean you go to hell if, you're, if you've uh, despised the grace of God or if you frustrate it? But it tells me your life will be miserable for sure. And again, your, your life will never be more happy, more complete, more satisfying than when you find what God's called you to do in his kingdom and you make the sacrifice to do it. It's not an American mindset, but it should be. But it very much is a kingdom mindset. May we not be wicked, neither slothful nor unprofitable with the graces the Lord has given us. Let us continue to walk in the light. Serving by grace keeps us in his light. Amen. Father, I thank you for Sunday school this morning. I thank you for these lessons on the grace of God that help us to serve you and help us to be born again and help us to go and do great things for you. We thank you for this message on the grace to work. May every one of us labor for this kingdom more abundantly than they all because of your grace which is given to us. May the grace of God on our lives not be in vain as we seek and serve you. Lord, we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.